Uh, first thing here, I'd like to just commend Rob and the worship team. Uh, um, you know, it is a fearful thing to stand up here on your own and, uh, and presume to lead a body of people in worship. And if you are not used to that, if you're used to kind of being one of the guys in the background as Rob has been, uh, to all of a sudden have it be uh, your thing to lead the people of God in worship is a uh, something that causes you to rely on the Lord in new ways. And, and, uh, and so, um, but we want to encourage our young leaders. Uh, you know, you see, you see folks like, um, like Madison and... Uh, and Rob and Mitch that are up here. You see my daughter Sarah and Elijah there in the back. Uh, some of these uh, folks who are part of the next generation of our church. And uh, we want to be an encouragement to them. So uh, as you see these folks serving, encourage them. Tell them, hey, great job. Thank you for serving the Lord with us this morning. Uh, Sarah, if you've got that first slide ready, we have been looking the la- over the last several weeks. I've been preaching through a series of messages on the church. And what you can see there is that the church has several essential marks. Or maybe you can't read it quite, quite, quite as well, but uh, in any case, there are, th- there are two columns there. One says marks, the other says works. Uh, things that the church uh, has to do, uh, things that are works that the church uh, needs to perform in order for the church to be the church, and then some characteristics, some things that ought to be present within the church in order for it to be a church. Uh, so uh, the marks are orthodoxy, or in other words, uh, the church that holds to the teaching of the apostles uh, as it was delivered to them and as is recorded in the scriptures. Uh, order, or in other words, right leadership, biblically qualified leaders, elders and deacons, Um, and then also ordinances. Ordinances is the word that we use to describe the things which Jesus commanded us to do in worship. There are two of them, uh, baptism and communion. We're going to talk about baptism today. Uh, We're going to talk about communion in two weeks. Uh, And then also some essential works, uh, things that the church must do ministry-wise in order to be a church, properly speaking. And those are evangelism, sharing the gospel with people who are lost, uh, edification, or discipling people who come to faith in Jesus, uh, and then also exaltation, what we are doing this morning. We are proclaiming the excellencies of Him who called us out out of darkness into His marvelous light. Amen? We are exalting Christ. We are lifting up His name and proclaiming Him. Uh, And these things have to be present in a church in order for the church to be the church, properly speaking. If you are lacking any one of these things, then what you have may be something important and valuable, but it's not a church. Because the church is characterized by these six things. So you might have, uh, as an example, you might have uh, an organization that does not uh, that holds to orthodoxy but doesn't have uh, elders and deacons, uh, doesn't practice the ordinances, is not much engaged in edification or worship, but they're all about evangelism. Do you know what? That, that would be a good example of an organization like Campus Crusade. Uh, important thing. 
Lots of people come to faith in Jesus through a ministry like Campus Crusade, but it's not a church. It's not a church. Uh, on the other side, you might have something which is totally screwed up that calls itself a church but does not hold to the teaching of the apostles as recorded in the Scriptures. And though they call themselves a church, they're not a church. They're a cult. Even though they might participate in some of these various things, they are not a church if they don't hold to orthodoxy. Or you might have a group of people who um, hold to orthodoxy. They have biblically qualified leaders. They practice baptism and communion. They disciple people. They worship God. But they never engage in evangelism. That's a sect. That's a, that's a group that, that separates itself off and says, well, it's just going to be us four and no more. And we're not going to reach out to anybody. That's not a church. That's an ingrown toenail on the church, okay? <laughs> that's, that is not a healthy thing, right? These things all have to be president, uh, present within the, within the church in order for the church to be the church as God defines it. So we want to look at uh, baptism this morning. Just by way of introduction, I want to give you uh, three myths about baptism that a lot of people believe, but that are myths uh, about it. Uh, the, this is one of the ordinances of the church because this is something that Jesus commanded or he ordained for us to do. Uh, but three myths. The number one myth about baptism is that, is in, is that it is in some sense a salvific act. In other words, that it imparts justification and salvation to the person who receives it. Now that is one that is believed by a whole lot of denominations. Uh, according to official Roman Catholic teaching, if you read the catechism that the Roman Catholic Church puts out, I have tried to wade through it. It is mind-numbing, okay? But in any case, if you read it, what they will tell you is, is that the initial act of justification that you experience is when you are a baby and they put water on your head. And that that cleanses away your original sin, and therefore you are, if you die as a baby, at that, having been baptized, you will enter into the kingdom of God. Or there are other people, in fact, we have some friends down the road that hold to this, uh, into an idea of baptismal regeneration. That the idea is, is that your faith is important, but it is confirmed by your baptism, and therefore, if you are not baptized, you are not saved. Is that true? No. That's not true. That's a myth. Baptism is not salvific. It does not impart to you justification. Is it important? Yes, but it's not salvific. Uh, the, that actually brings me to my second myth, that since it's not salvific, it doesn't matter. There are people who maybe don't, wouldn't expressly say that, but they act like that. And in fact, you see them, sometimes they would say, well, 
you know, baptism, you know, Jesus said I should get baptized and so forth. But, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't save me, and so it really doesn't matter whether I get baptized or not. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm just not really ready for that. I'm just not really interested in that. And it doesn't save me, so it's really okay that I'm not baptized, isn't it, Pastor? To which I say, no, that's not okay. <laughs> okay? We're not going to pick and choose what we obey of Jesus' commands. And Jesus commanded us to follow him in baptism. And just because it doesn't save you doesn't mean it's not important. Third myth is that it's merely symbolic. And I think this, this plays into a lot of us. You know, a lot of us, uh, particularly here in this room, myself most definitely included in this group, we're, we're, all, kind of, we're all kind of heady and we... We kind of live in our heads, and we think a lot, and we, uh, and we don't want our Christianity to get overly mystical, you know, and so we, we want to take away um, from things like baptism anything that's, that's going on that we can't necessarily get our arms around and describe. And so we, we say, well, baptism is just symbolic. But it's not just symbolic. There's something that happens to you when you are baptized. Something that is important. Something spiritual that operates within your life. A lot of us have the same idea about communion, incidentally. That we think of communion as just symbolic. But it's not just symbolic. There's something real that the Spirit of God is doing in us. And a lot of us have a deeper experience of baptism or a deeper experience of communion than we do with theology of those things. How many of you all have been baptized? Okay. Now, when you got baptized, did you experience something of the Spirit of God in that event? It's not just symbolic, is it? Not just symbolic. There's something real that the Spirit of God is doing. Um, baptism changes you. It is symbolic. Uh, it displays outwardly what Christ has done inwardly, but there's also real change that occurs in your heart as a result of being baptized as you follow the Lord in doing it. Uh, so those are some big myths. Uh, so now I'd like to look at the Word of God and look at what He has to say about it. And there are three things, essentially, that are important for you to know about baptism. Number one is that baptism is your confessional initiation. So if you want to turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to show you some verses that you probably don't think are about baptism, but they are. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present her to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, I'm sure at this point you are thinking the preacher has lost his mind. Uh, after all, isn't this passage about marriage? 
And if you think this passage is about marriage, you're correct. But one of the points that Paul is making in this section, one in fact that he makes explicitly in verse 32, is that the relationship between Christ and the church is the model, and human marriage is the analogy We sometimes think of it in the opposite fashion, that, well, my relationship between me and God uh, is like the relationship between me and my wife. And Paul says, no, (laughs) you've got it backwards. The relationship between, between you and Christ is the model, and this exists as an imitation and an analogy so that you can understand the higher reality up here of Christ and the church. And one of the things that he does is Paul, Paul uses wedding imagery to illustrate what Christ has done for us in relationship to us as his bride. And one of the things that Christ has done for us is to sanctify us and make us holy. How did he do that? According to Paul, it's by the washing of the water with the word. When was that? At our baptism. That's when. Uh, in the ancient world, every bride, before she got married, took a special pre wedding bath and then was clothed in white, symbolizing her her purity and her holiness before her husband. And in those purification rites, she made vows in public. There were words that were expressed as part of that. And in the same way, Christ has purified us, Paul says, through a washing that is attended by public vows of trust in and faithfulness to our husband, Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is. It's one of the initial public acts of commitment to Jesus, just like an ancient bride's washing and cleansing and vows initiated her act of marriage with her husband. And I love this wedding analogy because it underscores the truth that baptism is a symbol and a ceremony, but also that something really real does change about you and within you as you participate in it. There is more happening than mere symbolism and ritual on your wedding day, right? Sometimes you hear people say these stupid things. They say things like this. They go, well, you know, marriage is, quote, just a what? Piece of paper. Is that true? No. Okay? If you're a husband, you need to exercise that thought from your mind. Okay? If you're a wife, you need to to ban that thought from your mind. If you are someone who is dating someone else and you are becoming more and more interested in each other, don't think that nothing changes by having gotten that piece of paper and signed it and given your vows in public before God and everybody. Something real is happening there. It changes you. Your status has changed. You have gone from being single to being married, from being solitary to becoming one flesh. Uh, Can you still be married without the wedding? Yes. Can you still be Christian without being baptized? Yes. 
but neither is ideal, is it? And, an and to be an unbaptized believer is to choose to deliberately disobey Jesus' explicit command to us. Baptism is the Christian initiation ceremony. It is the sign that you have begun a new relationship with Jesus that you want everyone to know about and that you want to have publicly recognized. It's a public proclamation that there is now a dividing line between your old life and the way you used to live and the, and the, the person you used to serve, most primarily yourself, and that you have transferred your allegiance to a new sovereign, to Jesus Christ, and you are now united to Him. And it's an opportunity for you to give public testimony of how your life is being changed and declare your vows of fidelity to the Savior. And I want to make sure that we all understand that point, that this, from, from a biblical perspective, is the act by which you announce your faith. Because I think that those of us who grew up in certain revivalistic traditions, you know, you went to camp meeting or you walked the sawdust trail down into down in the front of the tent, and you gave your life to Jesus right there in front of God and everybody, right? Or you watch Billy Graham on those old crusades, and I love to watch him, because he's good. He really is. He'd be like, it's time for you to come. You can come. Come, meet the Savior, right? And it's good, right? And lots and lots of people meet Jesus that way, and I don't want to disparage that. But let me explain this to you. Raising your hand or walking down an aisle or with every head and head bowed and every eye closed right now in your heart, give your heart to Jesus. That is not the method that the Scripture says is the way in which we give public proclamation of our faith in which we are publicly identified as a follower of Jesus. Do you know what it is? give you a hint. It's baptism. Okay? It's baptism. It's, it's not that we are saved by being baptized. It's that we announce what we are doing when we are baptized. That we put our trust in public in Jesus. And we say, I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ and I want everybody to know in fact, in the early church, they were so serious about this that they would not let anyone take communion within the church who had not first been baptized because they did not regard anyone who was not willing to go on public record that they were, that they were committed to Jesus to participate in communion with Jesus. It's a serious thing. It is the New Testament public act of affirmation of your faith. It is the thing that you do to announce everybody in public, this is, what, this is who I am. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. And just as Jesus was baptized at the beginning of his ministry, so I'm going to be baptized at the beginning of my ministry in the church. Amen? All right. Now, uh, Baptism is not just a 
a, an initial act of public confession of faith. It's also a personal commitment to practical holiness. So I want to show you that. Uh, Romans chapter 6. So flip over to Romans chapter 6. And let's take a look here at what Paul says. Uh, verses 3 to 14. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism unto death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his." We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has any dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not therefore sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace." Now, I don't have time this morning to preach through every nuance of this text and every line of it, but let me summarize. Here's what Paul is saying. In our baptism, we and all of our sins are buried. We die and we are buried with Christ in his death and his burial. That as you go under the water, that, that here's, the, symbol, here's the, sim, the symbolic part of this, is that as you go under the water, it is as if you and your old life and all of your sin is buried and goes into the grave with Christ. And that as you come up out of the water, your old life washes away and you are raised to new life with Christ, just as Christ was raised from the dead to new life. That's the symbolic part. But Paul is saying that that's actually what happens in some measure, is that as we are baptized into Christ, and we, uh, we are participating in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection... That when Christ was raised to new and eternal life, so were we. That when Christ was put to death for our sin, in a sense, in Him, as we're connected to Him, so are we. Our life was put to death, and now we have a new life in Christ. And we have been raised right along with the Savior, and therefore we can depose and dethrone our old king, sin and his consort death, and we can enthrone Jesus in their place. And we have been given new life and are commanded to live in it as people who are dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And by the grace of God, we live out this new life in holiness, presenting ourselves to God for his use in bringing glory to himself. Now, be sure not to miss this. When do we make that commitment that I'm going to live a holy life? 
when we are buried and raised with Christ? When do we make our pledge to walk in newness of life? At our baptism. That baptism is not simply a rite or a ritual that we go through. It's something that we are not simply trying to be initiated into the fellowship of the people of God with the Son of God. We're also going on record and saying, my old life is just that. It's my old life. And I'm going to live the new life that Christ has invited me to because Jesus Christ has put to death my sin. And therefore, I'm going to put to death my sin also. I'm going to count myself dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. I'm going to walk in the new life that I have been given as I have been raised to life with Christ. That eternal life is not something I am anticipating in the future. It's something I am called to live in now and to walk in new life that I already possess because it's been given to me through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I symbolize all of that as I participate and follow the Lord in baptism. Of the, my old life is dead and buried, and I am raised anew with Christ the Savior. And we are commanded to experience the outward sign of these things so we can understand and live in light of the inward reality of our transformation and cleansing and ability to now live in practical holiness. When we get baptized, we're not just confessing faith in Jesus, we're also committing ourselves in public to live for Him and to follow Him. To forsake sin and count ourselves dead to it that we might embrace Christ and live for God. Amen? Baptism involves one more aspect that's important too. It's the ceremony by which you enter into full communion with the church. So if you uh, flip over a few pages to your right there, to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all made to drink of the one spirit. Now, I preached on this verse a few weeks ago, so I won't belabor it here. But once again, the idea is that baptism does something. And what it does is to make you part of the church. Now, Paul is emphasizing the Holy Spirit's activity in this. He's talking about spirit baptism more than water baptism. But the fact that he uses the word baptism to describe the Spirit's action by which we're all united together as believers and made a part of the body of Christ leads me to think that in Paul's mind there's a strong connection between spirit baptism and water baptism. That the two go together, in other words. And one is the sign of the other having taken place. And it's also a pledge of the bond, not just between you and Jesus, but between you and the church that you are connecting to. And this text... Uh, I think, as you look at it closely, totally shoots in the head the idea that we are that, that church is just some sort of optional extra to the Christian life, that you can kind of take it or leave it. That you are baptized by the Holy Spirit into a community of people who are believers. That you are meant to be connected into a body which is connected to Jesus. Amen? 
that the Christian life is not a solitary exercise. You know, you will never find anyone who in the Bible is, you know, up on top of a mountain somewhere communing with their navel, you know. You know, they don't do that. Why not? Because Christianity is not a, is not a solo sport. You're not a marathon runner. You're a football player. Okay? Everybody has a role to play. You know, you're going to probably watch football and watch the Bears get beat this afternoon. And, um, and when you do, you know, um, what you'll see is you'll see all different kinds of people on that team, right? You'll see great big guys. I mean, these enormous men. You know, like have a, have a swing outdoor on their refrigerator so they can sit next to it and eat, right? Okay, these enormous guys that play like offensive linemen, you know? weigh 327 pounds or whatever, you know, I mean, they're huge guys, right? And then you see these guys that are like five foot 10 and 180. And they, and they are, are so fast, but they're not big, right? They are the guys who get concussions, not the guys who give them, right? <laughs> they're the running backs, right? And then you see these guys that are real lanky, lanky, about six, five, and they're the guys who play quarterback and throw the ball, right? And you've got all different kinds of people, but they all are part of the same team. Winning team, losing team, doesn't matter. But they're all part of the same team. And one guy is not going to go out there and win the game by himself. He needs everybody else on the team with him. Offense, defense. Linebacker, running back tight end, nose tackle, right? They're all needed. And you're all part of the same group, just as in the church. When you're baptized, you're not simply baptized into Christ, you're baptized into membership in the body of Christ. You belong to Him. And you belong also to the group, to everybody else who is part of the body of Christ. Um... The church felt, again, so strongly about this, they would not rec- recognize any unbaptized person as a true member of the church. You could profess faith in Jesus, but until you got baptized, what you, were, you were just regarded as kind of a hangaround. Let me tell you why. Because in the ancient world, and as in the Muslim world today, Baptism was the event whereby you made a decisive break with your old community and embraced a new one. I have a fr- I have a friend um, who is or- who grew up Orthodox Jewish, and then she converted and came to faith in Jesus Christ, embraced the Messiah that all of her Old Testament Bible tells her about. You know what happened at her house, the one she grew up in with all of her family? They held a funeral. They bought a casket. They put every picture of her from you know, all their whole family history together inside the casket and buried it. They have cut her off. She is no longer part of their family. Why? 
because she has departed from them and embraced a new life. There are places in the Muslim world where if you are baptized as a Christian, they will put you to death. Baptism is is therefore the real serious marker between those who authentically follow Jesus and those who are merely interested in Jesus. And the Evangelical Free Church, you know, here here at our church, um, and those within our denominations, for a variety of historical reasons, we encourage baptism, but we don't require it for church membership. And uh, if we're solely up to me, we would make it a requirement. It's not solely up to me, uh, but it is really, really, really really, really important, okay? It's really important that if you, have not, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you be baptized. Why? Because baptism is the public act that where you confess in public your faith in Jesus where you commit to practical holiness and where you enter communion with the church. It's really important and it really matters. Well, what are we going to do with this knowledge? Because again, the, the goal of our instruction is love for Jesus, right? And the goal of our, of our of our time together in God's Word is not simply that we become smarter sinners, right? We are not striving for informational transfer from up here out to you. That's not what we're trying to accomplish. We're not about information. We're about transformation, right? We want to change to look like Jesus. So what are we going to do with this? Well, if you haven't been baptized yet because you aren't a believer in Jesus yet, then the Scripture says this to you. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. And if you do not know Jesus, then let me explain to you very quickly how you might do that how you might transfer your trust from yourself and your old way of living over to Jesus and walk with Him in new life. And the Scripture says some very important things. It says, first of all, that salvation is a free gift that can't be earned or deserved. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't have it bestowed on you because you were a really good person. Because according to the Bible, there are not any good people. There are only two kinds of people in the world. There are bad people, and then there is Jesus. And unless you are Jesus, you fit into the other category. And that, therefore, because we are all bad people who are in rebellion against God, who all fall short of the glory of God, according to Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 23... God has decreed, even though He loves us, that the penalty for sin is death. But because He loves us, He sent Jesus to die in our place 
to take the, pe- the death penalty that we deserved in our place. And if we will put our trust in Jesus' death on the cross, taking the penalty for our sins, and the fact that he was raised from the dead to give us new life, if we will transfer our trust from what we've been doing up to now over to Jesus, that he will accept us and welcome us into his family. That he will receive us if we put our faith in him as sons and daughters of the living God. And we will be transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. And that he will hold us and keep us and sustain us within that status forever and ever and ever. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He offers us salvation. And if you have never known that, please don't let today go by without putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And then after you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you need to get baptized. And so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you have never been baptized, get baptized, okay? It's that simple. Uh, After the Ethiopian eunuch came to faith in Jesus, he met Philip, the evangelist, along the road, and he said, what do I do now? I believe in Jesus. He's like, well, let's find some water. Time to get baptized, right? If you put your trust in Jesus Christ a long time ago, or today is the day, then you need to get baptized. If you've been baptized, let me ask you a few questions by way of just looking back on that event. Are you living up to your baptism by keeping your commitment that you made that day to practical holiness? I'm not talking about are you a totally perfect person because, as I said, there are not any of those. There is Jesus and then there's the rest of us, right? But are you, what's the trajectory of your life? What direction are you headed? Are you headed every day a little closer to Jesus or every day a little further away from Him? Are you keeping your commitment to pursue holiness? Do you daily, in ways big and small, as Paul says, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus and present yourself to God as an offering? To say, my life is no longer mine. I have been bought by the blood of the Lamb, and therefore I offer myself and all of my life, all of my possessions, all of my family, everything that I have, I offer it all, Father, to you. It's a daily act of worship whereby we commit ourselves to to Jesus again. Uh, Finally, and this is just a very practical thing. Ben mentioned this. Uh, It hadn't always been easy to get baptized here at Chili Bible. You know, we operate in a converted school. Uh, This is the Cafe Gymatorium, right? And... uh, didn't come equipped with a baptistry, right? So we've had to go to Great Oaks or over to Pierce or um, put a kiddie pool in the front yard or whatever. You know, we've got to come up with some other weird method to make this happen. Uh, and, and those have all worked, by the way. 
the issue is not the is not the the type of tank that we have or where the water is, but that it's water and that we are being obedient to the Lord. But we do want to try as elders to make it easier for people to be obedient. Um, and so we are trying to, to uh, pursue actually purchasing and installing uh, a portable baptistry that we can set up like right here where the communion table is. Uh, on the days that we want to baptize people or people would like to be baptized, uh, we can set that up and, um, and make it really easy to, to be obedient, as I say, to, to what the Lord commands. So uh, if you are interested in contributing to that effort, uh, just write that on the envelope and stick some money in there and drop it in the box, and we'll establish a little temporary fund. When we get enough money, we'll, we'll, get, uh, we'll get Jerry Anderson and his guys turned loose on that effort, okay, um, so that we can uh, make this happen uh, because it's important. And it's something that ought to characterize the church, amen? So, uh, Sarah, I think they're all up there, but uh, go ahead and click those through if you would. Oh, they're not showing up. All right, well... Never mind. All right, you heard them all anyway. Um, let's pray, and let's ask the Lord to, to uh, lead us closer to Him. Father, we do thank You that You are so gracious to us and that You have chosen, not because we were so good, but because You are so good, to send Jesus Christ to die in our place and to be raised from the dead to give us new life and that we follow the Lord in crucifying our old self, burying it with Him, and being raised to new life as we are baptized. Father, may we never consider this to be some merely symbolic thing because we know that the body and the heart are deeply connected. And that what we do with our bodies affects us in our spirits. And so, Father, I pray that we would all be obedient to follow you and to obey Jesus' command and to go on public record that we are following the Savior no matter what. And, Father, I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.